chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm excited to have Tim Kessler on the show today. Tim is the Chief Operating Officer at MTM. Tim, I am so excited about our conversation today. Thank you so much for making the time to be on the Something Extra podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and excited to have the conversation. Well, let's get started. I want to talk a little bit about your background. Now, I know you're a St. Louis boy, so you were born and raised here. Tell me a little bit about growing up. You know, it's fun. I, I grew up in Illinois, so to some of my St. Louis friends, I'm not actually from St. Louis, but I view St. Louis as my home. I grew up just across the river in a little town called Godfrey, Illinois, just north of Alton. But went to college here and then uh, moved here in uh, actually 20 years ago and have lived in St. Louis ever since and love being here. So did you grow up with siblings? Oh, goodness. So we could have the whole podcast on this. I'm one of eight. So I've got seven siblings. Turns out I'm a middle one. I'm four of eight. Anyone else is from a large family knows that the middle child usually doesn't exist. There's so much noise above you and below you that uh, I had a chance to kind of fly through life without being too noted. <laughs> That's funny. But I bet you guys had a lot of fun. Oh, we did. Never, never a dull moment, right? We did. It was crazy. It was, uh, and the one thing that we did not ever lack was the love and affection from my parents. Even if I didn't see them as often, when you're shuttling around eight kids and there's just a lot going on, you don't have as much of that one-on-one -on -one personal time, but I always felt I had that support. That's great. So you went on to school at SLU. And you graduated with a bachelor's of MIS, right? Management Information Systems and Business Administration. So was there somebody in your life, Tim, maybe even like a parent or a teacher that really inspired you? Why did you decide to go that route? And I think you chose well, and we'll talk about that. You know, it's interesting. You know, my dad gets a lot of credit for a couple things. And you don't always appreciate the things your parents do for you. Sometimes it takes decades, honestly, to appreciate it. My father went to St. Louis University. His father went to St. Louis University. And, and so my dad was very big on we had to go to a good school, one that had not only good education, but good values. And so that's really how the St. Louis University piece fell into the picture. When I first joined St. Louis U, I actually wanted to do communications so I could see myself doing something like this. Quickly realized after I was working two jobs to afford to go there, I lived at home. So I commuted on campus and had to work a lot to afford it. I looked at starting salaries for communications majors and realized that uh, it could take me a good 75 years to pay off my student loans. 
So the thing that uh, my dad had encouraged me previously to do too is he had bought a computer. We had a big debate when I was young around do we buy encyclopedias or do we buy a computer? Now at this point, computers were mostly black and white, three color monitors, so they weren't really all that sophisticated. And uh, he took a leap and bought the computer. That's really the end of it. I read the book cover to cover. He actually bought me more books to read, programming books. So I taught myself computer programming, basic language. Just had a lot of fun learning and exploring what technology can do. So when I decided uh, halfway through my college career that communications may not fit the bill, technology slid right in there and I haven't really looked back. Oh, that's great. So how old were you when that interest was really sparked? If I had to guess, probably I was 10 or 11 years old. That is incredible. But just think about that because your dad gave you access to that. That is what really kind of sparked your interest. If you hadn't had the computer, maybe you would not have gone down that route. Oh, 100%. But I'm really impressed, Tim. Now I understand because of all the awesome things that you've done, I understand where that came from. You were very self-motivated as a 10, 11-year-old to read the book and <laughs> to learn basic by yourself. That's amazing. Well, again, you know, part of that's my upbringing too. You know, you've got the advantage of having older siblings so you can learn from them. You also have the advantage of not having necessarily a lot of attention. So you get that autonomy to go figure stuff out on your own. And, you know, I'm a, a guy who likes to take things apart and uh, put it back together. And so computers and technology fit the bill really well. Very good. So you graduated and you started at Ernest Young, which I told you I love. But I think I counted, Tim, you've been in six different large organizations and you've held 13 different roles. <laughs> and you're not that old. It's just amazing, you know, that you've done all of that. So tell me a little bit about your career journey. You've done a lot of awesome things. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe we'll unpack some of that and see where we land. I'll tell you, the Ernst & Young story is actually a really good one. I remember when I graduated from St. Louis University, I did not have the highest GPA in my class. In fact, when I compared myself to all my classmates who got offers, they were all 4.0 students. I'm not going to give my actual GPA, but let's say it was less than 4.0. And it turns out I actually got the last offer that they presented. And when I asked them why, I kept waiting and waiting. And I was the last one to get the phone call. You know, I was a, maybe a non-traditional candidate. I did not have like a 3.9 or a 4.0. But what they loved is they loved the stories I told about, you know, how I worked two jobs to go to school and how I figured out computers even for those jobs. I created automation for them. And so that really was the first time in my career that I felt almost encouraged from sort of a, a corporate standpoint to do that type of thing, take those risks. And maybe you're not going to have the perfect, normal looking ACT, GPA type of things, but there's something more that someone saw in me and they took a chance on me and I had a great career at uh, Ernst & Young. You know what? I love what you just said because there may be young people that are listening to him and it's about the whole person. So we always say at Technology Partners, we want self-directed, self-managed people. And at a very early age, you learned how to be that. That is a character trait that is hard to teach. You either have that or you don't. So talent is just going to take you so far. The grades are going to just take you so far. So be encouraged, you know, because it's really about more like what you're going to bring to the table. And they saw that in you. So that's so cool. Yeah, and actually, it shaped me in many ways. I, you know, I'm constantly now looking, in fact, in my career, if I think back, I'm looking for people that maybe don't have on the outside what looks to be the ideal candidate, but they've got something more on the inside. And so I tend to pay attention to different things, maybe because of that background and experience. Who knows where I'd be today if someone didn't take that first chance. You know, Ernst & Young is an outstanding firm, as you said, and it, it does a lot. I mean, even just saying that you worked at Ernst & Young opens doors. 
And I'm very, very grateful for my time there. Well, so then you went on from there. You had a stint at City. You were the chief architect, CTO. Then you were SVP of architecture. Then you went on. You you were at Express Scripts for quite a while. And you did a lot of different things when you were Express Scripts, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've been very blessed in my career. So even, you know, the first part of my career was in consulting where, you know, you work at a variety of clients. You get to travel and learn a lot. You know, my wife and I were just laughing. You know, I... I honestly hadn't even eaten something like salsa until I was 18. I know it's embarrassing. It's like one of my favorite foods now. Never had sushi. And so, you know, whole new life experiences open to me, you know, not only professionally, but also personally around even the types of foods that I had. And one of the things that I found is at Ernst & Young is that model started to, to move and evolve. You know, people left and they started recruiting me. So I started to build those relationships and rapport with folks who created more and more opportunities for me. And and so feel very blessed about that. And one of the things that kept happening, no matter where I worked, is my role changed about every 12 to 18 months. And very few, in fact, I, I don't even know that maybe there's one where I actually applied for something. In most cases, they said, Tim's open. He, he's willing to take risks. He's willing to take challenges. And why don't we see if he'll do it? And so what happened at City, at Express Scripts, at everywhere I've worked so far, is that uh, I found myself in interesting roles. Oftentimes they were recovery roles. Maybe something really bad was happening. We made mistakes or we had to clean up some messes. And I just learned immensely during those experiences. The biggest thing that I think has really framed who I am is you can't be afraid of or fear of failure. Failure is going to happen. And when you go in understanding that, and then it's just about learning and reacting and changing, then you're not actually worried about taking on anything anymore. Excellent point. You know, Tim, you would not have had those opportunities if you'd been fearful and if you didn't have the courage to step out on the water and say, I'll give it a go. And uh, you were successful. And it's just kind of led from one thing to the other. So that kind of brings us up to what you're doing today. Uh, You took on the COO role at MTM. I think it was founded in 1995 by Peg and Lynn Griswold. And I want to talk about that because they basically, the way entrepreneurs start is they see a gap. They see a gap. They see a challenge out there and they say, how can we solve this? But here's MTM. We're committed to removing community barriers and increasing access to healthcare by providing high quality management of non-emergency medical transportation and preventative care services. Medicaid and Medicare managed care organizations will come to you guys when they're frustrated by their dissatisfied members for not receiving the care they deserve, concerned about escalated interventions and quality of care, motivated to decrease the time that their staff spend overseeing these NEMT services. So for people that don't know about MTM, I mean, they're a St. Louis company, but all over the the country, right? We're in over 30 states and the District of Columbia as well. Yeah, we're a fun little company. So it's St. Louis company for sure. And the thing that we do, and you mentioned it in your opening there, is we believe in communities without barriers. And so if you think, you know, for anyone who listens who is either in healthcare or we've all utilized our healthcare system, there's something called social determinants of health. And, and what that says is that there's certain attributes about people that either help them stay healthy or prevent them from staying healthy. And one of those social determinants of health is transportation. And ultimately, even if people want to go to their appointments, they may or may not go to their dental appointment for a bunch of reasons, but a lot of people listening to this podcast, transportation may not be one of those. But for the members we serve, they don't have access to transportation. And so we make sure that they get to their appointments, we get them there safely so that they can be healthy. And you know, some of these patients 
you know, we're the difference between them getting better or not. And then when they get better, they go back into the workforce, they contribute back to society, you know, more than they can when they're not sick. And so we absolutely believe that we make the communities we're in better by removing barriers and by helping people get and stay healthy. Yes, I love it. Well, can you take us back to 1995? Do you have any history? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I I know a little bit about this. This obviously predates me and my time there, but they saw a need in the community. They saw a need for people that were not being well served. And they really put it all on the line. I mean, they took all of their assets and they said, this is all or nothing. And so this wasn't a half-in type of proposition. And they put everything out there, started this company, had a very rocky start in terms of making ends meet. I mean, I've heard many, many stories about some of the early buildings they were in and maybe how not nice they were. Credit cards used to cover payroll, retirement accounts used to cover payroll. But they believed. They believed deeply in what they did and the mission of this company, which again is communities without barriers. And ultimately, money never got in the way of doing the right thing. Not only did they figure it out, but this company has grown to be a significant employer here in St. Louis and actually making a difference in, like I said, over 30 states. That's awesome. Well, Tim, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Tim Kessler. Are you an IT executive with years of experience? Are you energized when you empower others? If I've piqued your interest thus far, you may be a great mentor for the TechLX program in St. Louis. TechLX prepares rising IT leaders to tackle today's challenges and prepare for tomorrow's demanding roles by pairing them with senior IT executives like yourself. Mentors receive coaching from technology partners and will be invited to all TechLX networking events featuring outstanding speakers of the IT industry. To apply, visit tpi.co slash TLX. So, Tim, we're talking about MTM right now, and you took on a different role than you'd ever had before. You came in as the COO. What was the precipice for that? What encouraged you to take the role that you did at MTM? It's been a wonderful opportunity. I've always been in technology, you know, for the most part. And one of the things that if you're a good technologist is you're always pushing the envelope to get into operations anyway, because if you don't truly understand what the organization's goals are, their constraints and their issues you know, you run the risk of implementing technology for technology's sake. So for me to be in operations is maybe the formal side of it. But, you know, anyone who's listening, who's worked with me in the past will know that I tend to think and try and act as much like an operator as possible. So in some regard, it was actually not a a big change for me. So the current CEO and, and owner of MTM, Elena Mathia, you know, when she and I first met and we talked about this, she just loved the idea of hiring someone with a technology background into operations. If you really want to make a sustainable difference into your operation, hire a technology person. Because if they can do both and they can incorporate those changes in, then you know it's going to work and it's going to work for a long time. That is great advice because you understand systems, you know, and that's so important in operations, right? Exactly. And, and actually, my friend uh, Rick Holbrook, who runs technology at MTM, He'll tell you he loves having a technology person in the operations role because I understand the complexities and the challenges and the hurdles that not everyone understands. But when you've lived it in technology, it really does make a difference in terms of our partnership. Yeah, there's so much. And so check out MTM if you are a technologist out there and and looking for a home. So you have been there. You came in in June of 2019 and then 2020 a pandemic hit. So you haven't been there that long, but in your first hundred days, I mean, how did you approach that position? What did you do? Really, the first thing I did is I had to sit down and acknowledge that I knew nothing about this industry. So I know about healthcare and I know about technology and I know about operations, but this specific subset of an industry, 
I really didn't know much about. And so I spent the first 100 days visiting all of our operations. So I was traveling all over the country and really sitting down with the teams. And one of the things that I like to do and I try and do, it was a little uncomfortable actually for my leadership team. I asked them not to announce that I was coming other than to say someone is coming from our St. Louis office to observe. And then I would sit down with our contact center agents or I'd sit down with our frontline staff who actually do all the hard work every day. And I'd ask them, how are things going? And not until I was done in that conversation did I allow them to tell them who I was and what my role was. And then I went back and thanked them again because my job as a leader is not to stress people out. It's not to have pomp and circumstance or to be toured around the office. It's actually to understand what their pain points are and how I can help improve that. So I was able to do that. I got to most of our sites. There's just a handful of places I didn't get to before the pandemic hit. And wow, thank goodness, because those relationships and those connections I had when we had to make decisions fast to sort of navigate this was invaluable. Yeah, and you just brought up an excellent point. You know, you cannot sit in your corner office and manage from there. I mean, really getting out and building the relationships and the network within the company as well as external. We won't have time to talk about that, but technology people sometimes don't do that and don't think that that's important, but it is, isn't it? Tim? I mean, because you built trust with them, you built the relationship and you can go so much faster when you had that relationship already. Yeah. There's definitely something about going slow to go fast. And it's easy when you're, especially when you're a new leader in any role to go in and demonstrate how smart you are by making decisions or to be critical of previous decisions. And I found it's just much better if you slow down and just ask people why they do what they do. And you're going to find there's a gap between the PowerPoint you got when you came in and what's actually happening on the ground. And if you want to make a difference, if you can inspire that frontline associate on the ground, they're going to make all the difference. Right. So let me ask you, what from 2020 are you carrying forward? Yeah, so 2020 obviously had a lot of challenges. And even thinking back to the whole pandemic hitting and what that meant for us and what did we learn from that pandemic experience? I remember it was the Friday before spring break. We decided to cancel our spring break plans and and really started talking about, well, gosh, if we're canceling personal plans, you know, what's the right thing to do for the folks that, you know, we care for in our offices every day and essentially made a call. We had to get them out of the office. If we can't feel comfortable, you know, we can run that office without people getting sick. We didn't fully understand this virus at the time. We made an early call and uh, we said and set a very aggressive goal that we're going to take two weeks to move a thousand people to work at home. We did not have the playbook. We did not have necessarily all the technology figured out. And we just set the goal and said, we're going to commit and figure it out. And we did. And uh, within two weeks, we had moved a thousand people home. We just have a handful of people that we didn't move for a bunch of good logistical reasons. And we did it and still ran our business. We still took the phone calls. We still delivered those members and those patients to their appointments. It was really impressive about when you've got something as challenging as this pandemic, when you give it to people and say, we need your help, we want to think creatively, people step up and they deliver. And I'm really proud of the work that the team did to pull off that. And so, you know, for the first thing is I I loved that we had a chance to come together and it built a camaraderie and a relationship that is going to serve us well going forward for sure. And speaking of that, we sort of made the decision that we can just keep working from home. So we've actually offloaded a number of our offices where we don't need them. In some cases, we're required to have them with our contracts, but you know, we're rethinking our whole business model around even how we operate. And we've had great results, honestly, in this whole work at home. And I think it's going to change how other companies are thinking about real estate as well. And it actually opens up other doors too around recruiting and, and residency requirements, which people used to be big sticklers on now. 
it really doesn't matter as much. We're one team, we're a virtual team, and we're doing a great job with it. Yes, we're seeing the same thing, Tim. I've told you. I mean, we've got clients that are saying, oh, you're in Denver? That's fine. You can stay there and still work. So it's work from anywhere now. So yeah, I totally agree. It's going to change the way recruiting's done. So I want to talk about this. This is so important to me. You and I have talked offline about St. Louis. You're a St. Louis native. I am not. St. Louis is an awesome city. What are your ideas around elevating our city? Because sometimes people that don't live here or have not come here don't really understand all the great things about St. Louis. And I'd say all the time, we just need to change that narrative. What would you say are some of the things that we could do, Tim? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, that's actually, this is how you and I connected. There was some public narratives out there around challenges in St. Louis. And I felt personally called to action. I've been very blessed in my career and to have the relationships and the connections I've had. And, and I love this city. I think it's an outstanding city. You know, obviously, if you're not from St. Louis and listening to this podcast, some of the best uh, parks and zoos and museums. I mean, it's just wonderful. And most of it's free. And it's just great people here. And I love the diversity, which can cause challenges, but also causes us to think and to act differently. So I just I love the city and I think there's a lot more we can do. And that's part of why I reached out, you know, and and really made the connection is I'm passionate about the city and I didn't feel like I was doing enough. And so, you know, part of it for me and what I can bring forward is, you know, my background in technology. And I think one of the things that we can do as a city is we've got to engage people to really embrace technology. That's the big differentiator in careers going forward. You know, I've got a daughter and a son both in high school. They're both interested in computers. Now, part of that's from me and part of it's you can't really have a degree anymore without computers being part of it. So then I think about that. My kids, they've got great opportunities. Obviously, I've done well, and I do my best as a father to help them be successful as well. But what about all the other people in St. Louis? So that's part of what started the journey for me is how do we get technology and technology skills even into the high schools and into the grade schools? And little things for me, like I helped refresh our computer program at my kid's grade school probably now six, seven years ago. It's made a huge difference embracing things like Google Classroom which was unheard of at the time, at least for the school. But how do we do this systemically? And how do we get the smart people that we have in St. Louis to look at all the schools and maybe not the ones that they have a a father like mine that has the background, but create an environment where we can help others and really make technology a tech hub, not because you went to some prestigious school, because honestly, technology and experience, I taught myself technology at a young age. How do we create that same environment for people to do the same thing? And I see a day where even a college degree is not required to get a good paying technology job. And I think that's an opportunity that we have in front of us. I totally agree with that. Somebody asked me that last week and I said, I think micro degrees are going to become more prevalent, but we as organizations need to accept that. So somebody can go get a micro degree, but if nobody's going to hire them because they're still stuck in the got to have a four-year college degree, that's not going to be any good. But yeah, there's just so much. And to your point, there's a lot of smart people here. We can figure this out, but you have to have a bias toward action. You can't just stand on the sidelines and hope. So uh, very good. I love that. You know, I want to ask you, so this is something extra. Tim, what do you believe is a something extra that every leader needs? I think it's a great question. And as I reflect on even my own career, my upbringing, there's two things that served me well, really well. And we've talked a little bit about them. But one is courage, the ability to, to be willing to fail and not to worry about it. The courage to try something new, even though you may not think you're fully qualified. 
the courage to find someone who maybe isn't qualified and to mentor them and grow them to be something exceptional. And oftentimes they just needed the confidence. And by you speaking up and giving them that confidence, you can see great things happen. So there's something around courage that I would say that for everyone is, you know, remove the I can't, I'm not qualified, I don't have the degree, I'm not ready, and just say, what's the next step I can take to try? And you'll be surprised. You may actually succeed. And even if you don't, you're going to learn from your failure and you're going to feel better positioned the next time you try. The second thing, which, you know, really goes back to 10-year-old version of Tim trying to figure out how to program BASIC on his old TI-99 4A computer I think curiosity is really important. And so having curiosity and encouraging others to be curious, encouraging people to ask questions and and creating an environment for people to ask questions is just incredibly important. And it's less important that you as a leader know the answer. It's actually more important that people feel comfortable and psychologically safe to ask questions and to be encouraged to speak up. So those are the two things I would say, courage and curiosity. Such great advice. I absolutely love that. So Tim, is there anything coming up or anything that you want our listeners to know about that you want to put out there for them before we close out today? I actually, no one actually called me and said, hey, Tim, what more can you do? And my good friend, John O'Leary, who I know has been a guest on the show, you know, he talks about that a lot, you know, and he, he talks about his stories and Jack Buck and what more can I do? And that's always resonated with me since I've known John. And no one asked me what more I can do about St. Louis and how to make St. Louis a better community. I I sort of got there on my own. But I would ask for everyone else out there, what more can you do? We're a gifted community. We've got lots of talents and resources. And I think the more that we ask that question and answer it, the better off we're going to be. And I, I just, I'm really bullish on the city of St. Louis. I'm bullish on technology and our role in technology. I'm bullish on our universities and our educational programs in this area. We have a lot to offer. And I think if anyone, if even one person says, you know what, I can do more, then this was a good use of time today. Absolutely. My mom always said, many hands make light work. That's what we should all be asking ourselves every day. What more can we do? And do what you can but do something. That's right. Very good. Well, Tim, this has been such a pleasure. I have loved our conversation. I could talk to you for hours and hours. (laughs) Thank you again for being on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc., 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.